If you don't know me, I am uh, Pastor David Ayer. I am the lead pastor of New Life Church, and I'm glad you're here. Um, We are working on a series right now called Introductions, and um, this started with really just a word from the Lord to me about where we are as a church and um, how he wants us to really see him. For it to be more than just simply knowing about him, that he wants for us to really begin to see him more clearly. And so we're going to go to Exodus chapter 34. We're going to read a text there. This is one of the great texts of Scripture. This is... God revealing himself to Moses. And so we're going to pick up in verse 5 here. It says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a merciful, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This scripture um, is like the first time that God really talked about who he was. And really this this little set of, of teachings we're doing uh, last week, this week, and next week are really based out of this text. And um, we're going to talk about the second part of it today. There's something about us as human beings that we are always seeking to really see God. We, we desire to, to know what or who he is. From the beginning of time, this is true. Um, For me, this is one of the great proofs of our creation, that that Adam, when, if you read the scriptural account, says that God shapes Adam out of dust and breathes life into his nostrils. And so quite literally, man's first experience upon opening his eyes is seeing the one who made him. And since that time until now, each of us, when we become conscious of our being, begin to look to find him who made us. That is deep in our souls. And, and, and last week I talked about how God is looking for you. He's He's come here. If you feel Jesus in the house, he didn't just come just to be here. He came looking for you. And, and really, Exodus, uh, this, this picture here of God in, in Exodus 34 is actually preceded one chapter earlier by really an interesting portion of Scripture. I'm going to read it to you. It's Exodus 33, verse 17 through 20. It says, The Lord said to Moses... This is the very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight. So, so he's saying, Moses, you found favor with me. I, I think you rocked the house, Moses, and I'm going to do what you said. 
and I know you by name. I love that. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. You see, God is being asked to show who he is, to reveal himself fully, that Moses might be able to look upon God and, and, and see him for who he is. And, and God says this to him, I can't, I can't show you who I am, but I can tell you about me. You can see all my goodness pass before me, but as far as actually seeing my glory, you can't see it and live. Because the God of the Ten Commandments was a God that was separated from mankind because of our sin. And so to see the Holy One was to be overwhelmed by His goodness and our brokenness, our sin, and it produced death. See, but the beauty, and this was the message last week, is that now we see him in Jesus. Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. He is the one who always was, always is, and will always be. It was him that put on a body and, and came into this world that he might be with us. And, and we want to really see him for who he is. As we go forward today, I want to just say this one thing right now. Wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever your situation, wherever you come from today, whatever baggage you may have brought in, whatever hurts you may be carrying, God is loving you right now where you are. God loves you right there. And he's always trying to come to us, to that point, wherever it is that we are. He'll, he's trying to come to us to bring healing. It is our walking away or our resistance of him that limits that from happening. And the best example of that is the story of the prodigal son. If, if you have been around church growing up or whatever, you've heard the story. But for those who've never heard it, the prodigal son's a, a great story in scripture. It's in Luke and, and God Jesus is talking about a father whose son ends up taking his wealth. He asks for his inheritance from his dad, and dad's not dead. It's hard to get an inheritance when the guy's still living. But he says, I want my part. I want it now. And so the father, trying to, to take care of his son and give him what he's desiring, gives him his money, gives him his part of the inheritance, and he runs off to a far land and lives like a crazy child. He's, you know, doing it all. It says that he lived, it says that he blew his money on riotous living and women. Um, generally not good. You can fill in the blanks with all of that. This is PG-13 uh, here this morning. But what's interesting is that God is talking about how he wants to bless and how we as people so many times want to take his blessing and go do our own thing with it. But God never stops 
reaching out for us. I have, I have talked to people that knew God when they were children, that ended up on bar stools, you know, that, that they're sitting there on their, their 12th beer of the night, their fifth shot. And, and all of a sudden, in the midst of that place, I've been told by people that they have felt God come up next to them in the bar stool next to them and just talk to them going, why don't you just come home? Why don't you just come home? I, I want more for you than this. You see, God wants to bring you healing wherever you are. If that would be on a bar stool this morning, thankfully it's not. You're here and you're able to hear this message. But if, if somebody today is on a bar stool or, they're, or they're, they're waking up sick from last night, what they did or, or the party they went to or the things that they gave up or whatever it is that's gone on, wherever they are, God wants to meet them right there and bring healing to them. It's not for some need in him. It's who he is. Scripture talks about one of the great um, truths about God is he's all sufficient. You can't give God anything that he needs. He doesn't need money. Even though we give no offerings, it's, it's not for that he needs it. It's that, that we are showing our reliance on him, not our checkbook. It's an act of faith, an act of worship. And it allows for the kingdom to grow through missions and so on. But God has no need for anything. He doesn't, he doesn't need your approval. He doesn't even need our love. He lacks nothing. But because of that, he, he just, when you see him doing something, it is because of who he is. God is love, like David said. And because God is love. It is just what he is. It's like if you, if you soak a, a sponge full of water and, and you, you just touch it, the water just comes out. Why? It's filled with water. And it's like that with God. God, God is full of love. It's what he is. It's who he is. And if you just allow him to touch you, his love begins to pour out over you. And, and he created you, he created us, that he could give himself to us. He's a good father. He's not, you know, if you ever watch, uh, you ever watch Maury Povich, <laughs> he's not some baby daddy somewhere. He's not just interested in having children as a mark of pride or conquest. He's about giving his life to his kids, about sharing his life with his children. That's what God's about. And ever since God led Adam to the edge of the garden after the fall and watched his children walk out into a broken world, broken by the choices that they had made, since that day, he has always been trying to bring us back to him. Today we're going to just look at three expressions of that. We're going to unpack three different examples of that in scripture. So we're going to start off in the Old Testament and talk about the tabernacle. Exodus chapter 25 verse 8 says in the New American Standards, let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. 
Exodus chapter 29, verse 46 in the New American Standard says this, And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. See, God, when, when Adam sinned, God had to pull himself back. Again, God is holy and, and he's pure and he's, he's righteous. He's a judge. He's, he's all of these things, but he's also love. And because of that, don't worry, it's just my clock. It's now set at extra bright so that I will know for sure two things. I will know for sure if I'm going too long and my eyeballs will be scalded at the end of this, this, uh, this message. But um, it's fine. Chad's fine. Anyway. God, God had to pull back from us because of our sin. Because being exposed to him, like he told Moses, to see his glory, to really come into contact with who he was, would mean death for us. So because he loves us, he separated himself. He, he drew back. And the tabernacle, the tabernacle and all of its structures, for anyone who, who uh, doesn't really know much about the tabernacle, the tabernacle is a place people came to worship God. And they, if they sinned, they would bring their sacrifices there, and, and they would pay for their sin by the killing of an animal that would, that would push that sin off. And the reason, if you really read into the scriptures, the reason for it was so that God could dwell in the middle of his people. The reason that God created a sacrificial system, the reason that God even built the first church, as it were, the tabernacle, is not so that he could have some great, grand, you know, awesome place to hang out. It was not so that he could be, you know, um, given glory or, or made like, you know, these awesome gold furnishes. It, none of that was what it was about. What it was about was paying for the sin of Israel so that he could be with his people. God wanted to be with his people. And that is why those things happened. Nation, the nation of Israel, God intended for the nation of Israel to be the place that he would begin to be. And that, that his presence then and their, their um, engagement with him would begin to draw the other nations to him. And then it would allow for salvation to grow. That's why God calls Israel to be priests. He says, I want you to be a witness. I want you to show the people what it's like to live in relationship with me. See, but just like people, Israel rebelled. And it forces, get this, God had made all this system. God calls them out of Egypt. He builds this whole tent. He sets up this whole set of sacrifices and stuff where, where their sins can be cleansed. And, and all of that is done, and it's going great for, for several, several years. Until... Israel just decides to start walking away from God to the point that even, even there's idolatry, there's worship of other gods in his temple. Ezekiel 10 and 18 says the results of that. It says, Then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. Why would God leave his people? 
They asked him to go, folks. The, the reality is God left because they asked him to go. They didn't so much say, God, you're out of here. I don't want you. I don't need you anymore. But they did it with their actions. Through their idolatry and the things that they were doing. And just like Adam, they chose other things over their relationship with God. They chose to go after the things that they wanted more than his presence with them. It resulted in their domination by other nations and and their slavery again in Babylon and Assyria. Because when God leaves, his protection and his blessing leaves with him. Not because he's giving you judgment, but because that's part of just being in relationship with him. He comes with his blessings. So then what God does next is is he determines to come himself. Isaiah talks about how that God would send his own arm to make a way of deliverance for people. And that is Jesus. Jesus is the coming of God to humanity. I love 2 Corinthians 5.19. It says, says, And God reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. It was God in Christ that reconciled the world to him. It was God. If you want to know who Jesus is, he's God in flesh. Colossians 2 and 9 says that, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells. Sometimes you just got to go back to the King James, though. I, I, there's, times, there's times that the King James just said it right. And Colossians 2 and 9 in the King James says, For in him, meaning Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That means all that is God, all the quality that is God is, is in, in Jesus. He is the expression of God. Isaiah 9 and 6 says this, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Jesus is God coming to us. Imagine that. Imagine that with me for just a second, folks. The eternal God, the the everlasting Father, as Scripture says, stepped into time. The mighty God became a helpless infant. The Prince of Peace came into a broken world that hadn't known any peace since Adam and his wife had taken their peace of fruit from a forbidden tree. This is what it costs for Jesus to come. But I want you to recognize that it was a price that he deemed worthy. For since the sin... I'll try that again. That was not speaking in tongues. For for the first time, for the first time since Adam, God was going to walk with his children. Isn't that cool? It's something that that we don't know. It looks like it's something that used to happen a lot. When God goes looking for Adam in the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, it says that he walked in the garden calling for Adam and Eve. It looks as though they may have been in daily ritual of just walking through the garden together in fellowship 
And it was all lost when Adam eats the fruit. But, but get this. God gives up all of those things. Jesus comes as a man into this world and costs, it costs him everything in so many ways. But guess what? Walking with his people was worth it all. He would laugh with them. And he would cry with them. But most of all, he would simply be with them. He would share his life with them. Especially the 12 disciples. See, again, God in Christ dwells in the midst of his people until they determine to rebel and kick him out again by nailing him to a cross. But I I want you to catch this. Jesus says something profound and incredible. Something that at first doesn't make a lot of sense. But in John 16, verse 7, it says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Get this, Jesus is saying, it is better for you if I go. It's better for you if I, if I leave this place. I know that we're all here and you're all upset and you're crying and you're, you're torn up about this, but I'm telling you this, it's better for you to go or it's better for me to go. And the reason is because when he was here on earth, he was limited by time and space. Jesus could only be with those he was with. And no matter how popular you may be or or how much you might enjoy people. There's only so much of yourself that you can give to people. And he poured out himself to the multitudes and brought healing to to all the crowds, but, but he could not give himself to them. That is until he's crucified. And he comes, God comes, by giving his spirit to us. Do you notice this? God's always coming for you. And he's always coming closer and closer. He goes, the tabernacle's great, the temple's great, but it's just a house, and I'm stuck here. And then Jesus comes, he said, this is great, I love this, I'm walking with my people, but, but there's still distance, and I can't give myself to somebody in Israel and in North America at the same time. I, I can't be both places at once. Until he dies. Until he he pays the price for our sins. And he says that he would send back his comforter. His helper. His his healer. Who would be given to each of us. I want you to understand this one thing. Today you have available to you. Acts chapter 1. Jesus says to, to wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. He says, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then in Acts chapter 2, we see that happen. There's about 120 people. We might have maybe 150 in here now, so just a few fewer than are here right at this moment. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God sweeps into a room. And and, and it says that there there was a wind, like a wind from heaven. And they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they they do end up speaking with tongues. And all those things happen. You see, but... When that happened, I want you to understand this, and I want you to hear this really carefully. 
When God baptized his people with his spirit, God came as close to you as your soul. Because each of us has a place in our hearts that we're always looking to fill. And we try to fill it with a million things. Some of us jump out of airplanes. Some of us spend time with bottles. Some of us get involved in other forms of addiction or thrills. That we're looking for something to fill up our lives. Some of us love to hunt. Some of us love to watch a football game. Some of us love to do all these different things. And none of those things particularly, if it's good, clean, wholesome, fun, is bad. Right? But, but really, we're looking for things to fill the void in our lives. We're looking for things to fill the hole in our heart. And Jesus died to fill that hole. He, he wants to reach for you and bring healing. He wants for his spirit to come into your life and make you whole. It's not about, it's not about a religion. This is not about religion. This is about relationship with God. It's about him coming and, and, and bringing your healing with him. But I want you to catch this very important thing. That when God fills you with his spirit, when you receive his presence in your life, and you're filled with him, that he is where he's always wanted to be. You see, all of this, from when Adam left until the cross and the baptism of the Spirit, it's God trying to bring his children back to him. And when he's filling you with the Spirit, if, if anybody here has the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or if you do not have the baptism of the Spirit, I want you to know this. That one thing is when God is finally where he wants to be. Is heaven important? Yes. Jesus does die so that you can, you can be cleansed of your sins. But, but it's not just heaven. It's heaven on earth. It's, it's abundant life right now. It's him coming and living inside you because when sin was no longer a barrier, once sin was broken by the cross, then there was no longer a gap between us and him. That's why, did anyone feel the presence of Jesus here this morning? Anybody feel his sweet presence here? Do you know that there have been millions of people for thousands of years that could never have felt that? They never felt it. It was impossible for God to come into a room like that. We'd all be dead. Because his holiness had him separated from us because of our sin and brokenness. So he pays the price on the cross so that you can feel him. So that he can touch you. So that he can heal you. So that he can make you whole. So that he can come and be your comfort. That when you're struggling some night, there have been nights in my life where I have cried by my bedside or in my bed. And I have just been broken inside. That all of a sudden the sweet presence of God swept into that room and comforted me. I've heard, there's a friend of mine in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She goes to Parkway Apostolic Church in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. 
She was a missionary in Russia. She was terribly sick, terribly sick, 104 fever. They think that she's going to die. She's in her room. She's got no way to be able to get to the hospital and get care. She's too far away from the main hospital. She is just simply in her room. And in the middle of the night, she literally says that the light in the room began to glow. And all of a sudden, Jesus walked into that room and literally, he picked her up off the bed and just held her. Just held her in his arms. And the next morning, she was healed. See, God wants to be there with you. God wants to open the doors of your life to his healing. He dies on the cross, not just simply to forgive your sins, yes, but it's so that you can accept his touch, that you can accept his, his healing into your life, that he can come and be with you, and not only with you, but in you, and bring his healing with him. He came to be with us. Remember the story of the prodigal? The kid runs off. Every day, it seems, dad is waiting for him to come home. Because it says, it says that when the son, when he saw his son, that he went running to him. And you know what that means, folks? He was looking for his son to come home. Who knows how many days it had been that he had been there at the gate waiting, just looking Is he going to come home today? Is he going to come home today? Peering over the horizon, trying to just see if today would be the day. And then one day, he sees a hobbled form, maybe limping down the road. But he recognizes that's his boy. And he doesn't wait. He doesn't wait to, to, you know, for him to come up and go, Dad, I'm really sorry. I mean, the kid had his whole speech worked out. (laughs) Dad, I'm not worthy to even be one of your servants, but if you'll just let me live in the house, I'll work for you as a slave. He, he had his whole speech set up. And the father runs to him, starts giving him gifts and restoring him to his place in the family. There are people in this room that you... You may be waiting until you get it all together to come back to God. You may have your speech lined up. You may have, you know, I've been a bad son. I'm not worthy to be one of your servants. But if you'll just come, he'll run to you. See, because his dream has always been to be with you. To be with you is where he's always wanted to be. The band's going to come. And, uh, and I want you to be thinking right now. I want you to look at where you are. Even if, you, even if you're in relationship with God and it's good, how much closer does he want to be with you? What barriers have we erected in our lives that, that stall him from bringing his, his full healing into our lives? Because Jesus loves you more powerfully than you could ever imagine or conceive in your mind. 
And all he needs from us is just an invitation. He's waiting. The question is only always whether or not we will come home. Today, I, uh, I offer you an invitation. I offer you an invitation. I offer you an invitation that if you have never let God really into your life, for whatever reason, let him in today. If you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you can receive that this morning. It's an amazing experience. It was transformational in my life and in the lives of so many people here. Uh, I've never heard anybody say, man, you know, that was all right. The best is when I heard this little five-year-old kid get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he got the mic, and they wanted to say something about it. He says, I've waited for this my whole life. It, it had been a long time for him. But you know what? The reality is that I've also talked to, you know, 70-year-olds that received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and said, I've been waiting for this my whole life. Real quick, when I was in Upper Arlington, Ohio, there was a woman in town who was a witch. We were trying to reach out to her. We had been friendly. I don't know if we were friends, but we were friendly. We were reaching out to her, and I, I asked her, I invited her to church one time, and she said, yeah, we don't do that. Uh, I'm pagan. I'm a witch. I'm like, cool, okay. So I just let it alone. Well, bottom line is one day I prayed for her, and God healed her, and so she decided to come to church the next week. And um, she's sitting right about where Jim and Carol are with her husband, and her kids. And, uh, and they were in a job transition. I said, why don't you come up? We're going to pray for you. So we'll just pray for you. Let God do something for you. And that, that lady who had practiced witchcraft for over 20 years came up right about here. And, and I just laid my hands on her and Denise and I started praying for her and her husband, and, and they started crying and started shaking and just broken. And after it was over and she's baptized in the Holy Spirit, she says to me this. She said, I have looked for this in all of the witchcraft I have tried to practice over my whole life. I said, but this is what I was looking for. I want you to hear me. Wherever you are, whatever's going on, you may be practicing witchcraft. Guess what? Jesus loves you where you are. It doesn't matter. All you need to do is just open the door for him to come, and he will meet you right here. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that you are the God who comes to us. That you're not satisfied just being in heaven and us just knowing that you exist. That you're always revealing yourself more and more and more to us. And Lord, there's people in this room right now that need to see you. They need you revealed in their minds, their hearts, their lives. 
And I ask you to help them to just invite you to come. You're gentle, you're good, you're full of grace and mercy and love. And Lord, I pray that people would begin to invite you to come into their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.